text is found in the scripture reading from this morning, Genesis chapter 39 in verse 2. We're going to be considering the whole chapter, but if you were to pick out one verse, which is the theme of Joseph's life and the teaching of the scripture that the Holy Spirit records for us, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. That's key to everything else that unfolds for us here in the chapter. The Lord was with Joseph. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Lord, we come confessing our inability to do anything without you. You've told us without me you can do nothing. And especially when it comes to spiritual things, the flesh profiteth nothing. And so we pray today that these words which are Holy Spirit inspired and recorded, they must be brought to life by your Spirit. May I as your preacher not just be a clanging cymbal or tinkling brass. I realize I'm not sufficient of myself to think anything of myself, but my sufficiency is of God. We do believe, Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit and the authority of your Word. And that this word has everything needed for life and godliness and eternity. All that the inner man of the soul has need of. And so we come as your people today with that expectancy, with that desire, and with that request that we be fed on heavenly manna with the the living bread. We pray that it would please the Holy Spirit of God to save them that are lost by this word You're absolutely sovereign. You can use any portion of Scripture to strike fear and trembling into the heart of a sinner and bring them to repentance and faith. We pray that you would comfort the saved and the feeble and those who may be struggling with temptation as we see this choice servant of old who was tested and tempted. We know that we're all subject to all kinds of tests. So we pray that you'd equip us with your word today for that which is before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We could take the first part of verse 2 as the Holy Spirit's assessment of Joseph's life. It is like an epitaph on a tombstone or a life verse that gives us the whole story. Charles Spurgeon writes, The Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man. Dear friends, how would you like to have your inner biography sketched? How would your soul appear if set out in detail before all the world as to its desires, affections, and thoughts? Many lives have looked well on paper, but beneath their surface, the biographer never dared to dive or perhaps could not have dived had he been anxious to do so. It is often thought wise in writing a man's life to suppress certain matters. This may be prudent if the design is to to guard a reputation, but it is scarcely truthful. The Spirit of God does not suppress the faults even of those whom we most admire, but writes them fully like the Spirit of truth that he is. Egypt of Joseph's day was made up of small villages. The system of irrigation had already been highly developed, taking advantage of the annual flooding of the Nile and then sending that water throughout the land so that it was a very fertile and prosperous land to water the crops and livestock. A few large cities were in Egypt at the time, Heropolis, where the sun god Ra was worshipped, 
and the city of Memphis, where Aphis, the the revered bull, and later on the children of Israel, after they have been in Egypt several hundred years, will uh, take that uh, knowledge of worshiping the bull and will develop that and make the golden calves as idols, and it will forever be a thorn in their side. But that's where they got the worship of the cow. Most of the people were farmers and lived in small villages. The common people lived in in brick, sun-dried houses. Egypt was controlled by its superstitions. There were 2,000 gods and goddesses. And they worshipped even the Pharaoh, their leader, and had a preoccupation with death and the afterlife. And because of that, had perfected the art of embalming and uh, the preserving of the body and all the things that they thought a person would need it in the afterlife. They were great builders, as we still see evidence of that with the Sphinx and the, the pyramids, and used slave labor from their conquered people to, uh, to build these vast monuments. Some of the pyramids have single stones in them weighing 15 tons, just one stone. What an amazing feat of technology and building it was to build these monuments. It was, the government was controlled by bureaucracy. That's no new thing in history. You might think it is just in America, but uh, Egypt at the time was a highly bureaucratic, uh, had a highly bureaucratic government with thousands of government workers and thousands of scribes to keep all the minute records. They developed a solar year calendar with 365 and one-fourth days in a year. I don't know what you did with the fourth day, but they had it well-known for their, their medical treatment and even uh, in, in pharmaceuticals and even brain surgery is recorded by the Egyptians. These were no cave people, were they? They used horses and chariots and were well-schooled in the arts of military endeavors. Joseph was 18 years old when he enters into this society, sold as a slave by his own brothers, a band of Ishmaelites. Traders bought him from his family, from his brothers. He was brought into Egypt at 18 years of age, and for the record, he will die at 110. His life story is one of spiritual and material success. Apart from those biographers and commentators who point to his pride as a young teenager, and what young teenager doesn't have pride, especially when given position beyond their experience, as his father had done, there is no blight against Joseph's name. Some use him as a type or a picture of Christ, although the, the Bible never says that. He certainly does parallel our Lord in his testing and his uh, rejection of his brethren and so many things that are given there. But we will say this, there is no blight, there is no mark against Joseph's life. His story is of, of a spiritual blessing. And the Holy Spirit records it here. The Lord was with Joseph. I can think of nothing better to say, can you, about anyone. We often look at people, and, and although we don't have all the facts, a, a person's life will shine in such a way that we, we get the, the impression that the Lord is with certain people. And it's not to say it's not with others, but there is this, the single 
blessing of the Lord upon a life, a yielded life. And when we're in communion with that person, in conversation with that person, they're so controlled by the Lord and the Spirit and His Word that you cannot help but notice these people are beyond the normal, the the, normal example of even a believer. And we'd have to say of, of some of God's choices, servants, the Lord is with them. And because of that, Joseph was a prosperous man. Now, sadly, even in Christendom, people would often reverse that order. We would like the prosperity that is recorded second and maybe put the blessing or the the spiritual qualifications after that. But first things first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? All these things, whatever they may be, you graduates and and, and people of any age, whatever else your goals and desires will be, we'll find their proper place if first we're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And obviously, that's what Joseph did. We could say this is the Old Testament parallel to Matthew 6.33. The Lord was with Joseph. Certainly an example of it, isn't it? And he was a prosperous man. He's one of the most unusual stories in the Bible, his life. Though despised by his brothers, jealous, they were jealous of him, loved by his father and honored. His father had every intent of making him the head of the family, unusual by any means, but especially in that day. He was highly esteemed and and regarded and and successful wherever he goes. We see that in this, this portion of Scripture, whether in Potiphar's house or in prison, I love the, the verse there in verse 22. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the, the prisoners that were in the prison. He was in charge of the prison as an inmate. Now that says a lot about a person, doesn't it? The keeper just said, would you run this place? Make sure everybody's doing what they should do. And he was so trustworthy. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. What a statement. He oversaw it. He inspected it. He administrated whatever was done in the carrying out of the the royal prison of, of of Pharaoh. Wherever he was, he exemplified humility and trustworthiness, integrity, honesty, and purity. John Phillips writes, The years between the time he was seen with an iron chain on his wrist... And the time he is seen with a gold chain around his neck, that's quite a difference, isn't it, were years of great testing for Joseph. We would often like to be prime minister. We just wouldn't want to go through what it takes in Joseph's life to get to that place of trustworthiness and authority and what many would call blessing. As we have often seen, genuine faith must be tested How would you know it was faith if it wasn't tested? It's very easy on Sunday morning to say, this I believe. It's another thing to live that out in the emergency room after a tragedy or after a doctor's assessment or even just a twist or turn in your life, in your work life or home life or the circumstances of life. It's one thing to say today and testify with the saints, the Lord is sovereign, he's in control, all is well, he leadeth me. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, as we've sung, Be Thou My Vision. And then when he does take us up on that and begins to lead us, we're asking for his light and he begins to lead us, we might think, that's not what I had in mind. But a faith that cannot be tested, you know the rest of it, is a faith that cannot be trusted. Faith must be tested to show that it is genuine. We see in verse 1 that Joseph 
was purchased from the Ishmaelite traders by Potiphar. And Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard. He was no doubt in charge of executing Pharaoh's political enemies. Now, this was a day when the king said, off with your head meant off with your head. He could decide at a whim who lived or died. If he didn't like the butler or the the candlestick maker or the royal wine taster or whoever it was, if they, in the least wise, got in his disfavor, he sent them to prison to let them sit there a while and think about it. And after a while, he might decide to execute him if he had the, the, the whim or the fancy. And, and Potiphar oversaw all that. How would you like that job? He oversaw the execution of prisoners of Pharaoh. He is clear from the, the scriptural record that, that Joseph was gifted in, in areas that he had nothing to do with. We, we need to point that out. For example, he was highly intelligent, uh, but that intelligence was given to him by the Lord. And so you graduates who are, have achieved great things, I want you to know that that's, the work is, is great and we commend you, but the ability to do that has been given to you by the Lord. Yours, what you do with that intelligence is, is important, and that's your part, but the capacity there is a God-given thing, that, that ability. And so it was with Joseph. We commend him, but the ideas, of future we'll see his, his ideas of how to administrate during time of famine and his, his advice uh, to Pharaoh... Was, was commendable, but that ideas, all of that came from the Lord. Uh, God gave him that from birth. He was very perceptive and observant and shrewd. It appears that he was also quite handsome. The verse 6 tells us that Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. In, uh, it indicates he was good-looking and easy uh, to like. It's the same word used of David in 1 Samuel 16, where the Holy Spirit enlarges upon it and tells us that, that David was a good-looking man. I just point that out. The Holy Spirit records it. But that, they, that Jacob had nothing, excuse me, Joseph had nothing to do with that. People often prize things like looks and intelligence, but the Bible tells us that the Lord bypasses all of those outward and obvious things and goes right down to the heart of the matter. And I really mean that literally. The Lord looketh not on the outward appearance, which we almost always and totally do. And we put a little emphasis on the inner, but God always sees the inner and knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He was a goodly person, the Bible tells us. Joseph's character, his spiritual, uh, spirituality, his integrity, even when he was away from home, and out from under the watchful eyes of the, 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 the family, he still lived by those principles instilled in him as a youth. Here's an 18-year-old whose home life was, let's say, unusual at, at least, right? A very unusual situation. Sibling rivalry, textbook example. Uh, favoritism by a parent. All kinds of anything that you could point out that would... would, would it, would be excused for, for not living right. Joseph surmounted all those things and had a deep love for the Lord at an early age. It was so evident of his conversion and his love for the Lord that even far away from home, reminds us of Daniel, doesn't it? Without the oversight of parents or the, the preacher or anyone else, 
these things were his conviction. And again, you young people and all of us really, whatever we could say to young people at, at commencement would be true for all of us, that, that these things must be in our hearts, not just things in our head, not just doctrine we know, but truth we live by experientially. And his character was the most, like Daniel, the most notable thing about him as is so clearly pointed out to us in this portion of Scripture. Far outweighing his intelligence, far outweighing his good looks, Daniel, Joseph was a pure and trustworthy man of, of inner character. Please don't overlook the secret of Joseph's success. And I, I kind of hate to put it that way because that sounds rather worldly to me. But if you wanted to, to put it just in the vernacular that we understand, the secret of Joseph's success is this. The Lord was with him. Verse 2 tells it. I would point this out especially to you young people and graduates and, and really all who want the Lord's favor. The secret of his success is there. The Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper. You see, you can have the intelligence, the looks, and the opportunity, the position given to you, as he does here, as the overseer, the steward of Potiphar's household. That was no small job. But you and I know that God is preparing him for a bigger job, prime minister of the nation. Here he is over just one highly esteemed official of the, of the Pharaoh's household. He oversaw his books, his servants, the, the finances, the buying and the selling, the, the, the giving of the job descriptions to the other servants of the house. And, and not that it's not important, but it's nothing like being prime minister of a nation, but God is preparing him for that. And I would tell all of us that God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. And to do that, you will undergo testing. Verse 4 tells us that Joseph found grace. And we usually think of that in a spiritual sense here. It's really just favor. He, the Potiphar liked him. He found favor in Potiphar's sight. He made him overseer of his household, and all that he had, he put in his hand. Now, that's a, that's a big deal, isn't it? I mean... Whoever you give your debit card to or your checking account, I had, I had the misfortune yesterday of getting in a line. I, did you know that people still do write checks in, in Walmart? And, uh, I, and if you do, I'm no, no, pun, no, no problem with that. But these, so I got in this one line. You know how you size up the lines and say, okay, this is the line for me. I was, as we all are, pressing to get to the next thing and... And so I was in the line, and this little lady, bless her heart, took out her checkbook, and I thought, okay, we're going to be here a while. And, and we were. She wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. Her, I think she was testing her penmanship, and she'd look at it, and uh, the line was growing. And so I just bowed out, and I sought me out, and I said, there's a line. There's only two people in it. When there's a short line, there's a reason for it. That lady was writing out a check, too. And lo and behold, both cash registers were not taking, there was a problem with taking checks. I began to think this must be so archaic that I don't even know what to do with them anymore. So this, this cashier hollered down to this one, is your cash, cash register, that's an old-timey term, isn't it, whatever the, the, the thing, is it taking checks? Mine's having trouble with it too. And I thought, oh my, we're going to be here all day long. But whoever you give your checkbook to, your debit card, your safety deposit box, there's just a very handful of people, if any, <laughs> that you would do that. 
So when Potiphar gives all of that over to the oversight of, of, of Joseph, he was that trustworthy. He had no reason to ever question Joseph's intent or his uh, embezzling anything or doing anything untoward. He had that much confidence in him. Do you know that the Lord's people, wherever we are, ought always to be like that? Every one of us in our place of business or service, you've been deputized. You've been given the stewardship of that whatever you do. Whatever you'd write out, this is what I do day by day. You are allowed by somebody to do that. And you will answer to the Lord first and foremost. But that overseer, supervisor, that potiphar in your life ought to know that if Chris Lamb is there doing that job, he will do it with expertise and care as much as he can with my best interest in mind. And I can trust him with it. Can, can, the Lord, can people say that of us? All that he had, he put in his hand. We see there in verse 6, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. The, the Holy Spirit just keeps emphasizing it. And he knew not all that he had. He got to the point, he didn't know what his balances were. He didn't know how much was in the bank. He didn't know what were in, in that day and time, the, the spices, the, the certain foods were so rare and imported, they would keep them under lock and key the overseeing of the silver and the gold of what, and the, what they used to serve these lavish banquets they had. Joseph, had keep, he was the keeper of all of that. He didn't, the, the, the Potiphar didn't know the estate. And I'm not saying it's a good thing to be because usually that's when trouble starts. But Potiphar so trusted uh, Joseph, he didn't even know what he had or didn't have. If Joseph told him, that's whatever, that's, that's it. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? No doubt Joseph witnessed to his boss. I, I think that, and I may be, you may think I'm reading into here, but I think that Potiphar was so amazed at, at Joseph's carefulness, and usually people of that high rank will give a little test of their own, leave out money or do things to test the person that's overseeing their innermost affairs. And when Joseph passed all these tests, he had to wonder about that because that's unusual, isn't it? It's un it was unusual then, it's unusual today to find people of that sterling character. And do you know your trustworthiness and honesty may be the very thing that gives you an opportunity to share the gospel with that employer, with that person you're working for. And after all, that's why you've been left here. To live it out, but to speak it when the opportunity comes. And I'm sure that Joseph shared with Potiphar why he was the way he was. He could have said, well, that's just the way my mother raised me. I'm just a good person and taking all credit for himself. But none of us are worthy of any credit whatsoever, are we? I mean, if there's anything good or noteworthy about any of us, the Lord put it there by his bountiful mercy and grace. Be careful always to deflect the praise for your success, for your abilities to the Lord, the Creator. Remember, it is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We can get the Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar complex. Go out on our balcony and say, look what I've done. The Lord knows how to humble that kind of pride, doesn't he? And so he must have witnessed to him. And it was the blessing of his God. My God has blessed me. I'll tell you, if, the, if, if Potiphar had asked him, he said, what is the secret here? Why are you so uh, such an exemplary steward? And he would have to say, as every true believer has to say, it is my Lord. It is the blessing of the Lord. Joseph would be the first to say, the Lord is with me. 
and he prospers all that I do. That's not bragging on us, ourselves, to say the Lord is with me. Every child of God know how. You may not have faith, but faith is a grain of mustard seed. May I tell you, the Lord is with you. That's part of being a child of God. Potiphar obviously saw Joseph's outstanding character traits and abilities to manage wisely. And so he put him over everything. Now, that may not happen in your life that kind of trustworthiness or that kind of exaltation or elevation. But whatever it is, you're still to be that judicious about it. Often the Lord in his graciousness and loving kindness, I have seen, will bless even unbelieving masters and bosses and supervisors, not because they're such good businessmen, but because of the people they have working for them. Blessed is that company that has Joseph's working for them. And shame on you if you are a professing believer and you are not that way. The worst thing that you can do to the cause of Christ is to profess to know him and not be as Joseph was before Potiphar. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had, Potiphar had. He, the blessing rubbed off on him. He was blessed because of Joseph's faithful stewardship. From this background of good favor of Joseph being delivered from his mean and heartless brothers, as well as the Ishmaelite traitors who no doubt were not very kind to him in that transition, to the Lord guiding him right into the home. How did, how did, the, the Bible doesn't tell us how Joseph got into Potiphar's home. I will tell you how. The Lord placed him there. Why? What does verse 2 tell us? Because the Lord was with Joseph. It just didn't happen. It wasn't because he was so good looking. Now, Potiphar may have chosen, he may have seen the, the lineup of slaves who had been brought in, so I'll take that one. But he didn't realize that the Lord caused him to choose Joseph. Joseph is being prepared by the Lord. And Potiphar makes that choice because the Lord put the idea in his heart and that because God is going to, to train Joseph in Potiphar's household, not just in how to keep books, but he's about to test Joseph in a way that he probably never even thought about. I want you to know that, that the time of testing came. And, and testing is part of the sanctification process of every believer. Please know that. The test will come. In fact, we never reach a place we never reach a status in this life where we will not be tested. I believe the last great test is in this body. As we live long enough, we will experience weakness of body or sickness or disease, and the last great battle is fought in these bodies. And it's a real test to balance all that out and to, to live sweetly and spiritually before the Lord, even with pain and, and difficult circumstances. And in, it is in God's consuming goal his relentless goal that he never tires from and never turns away from is to conform you and me to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's about. That's what he's doing in every life that, that he owns. Job said, He knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And he went on to say, Many such things are with him. He has all kinds of tests for me. Now, I want to just talk very plainly here as we deal with a very plain t topic of temptation here. The Bible is very plain, and so we must be. The devil never leaves any believer alone. Never. No one gets so high in grace, so noted, so acclaimed, 
such a great preacher, such an eminent missionary, such a wonderful Christian businessman or woman or talented servant of the Lord. No one ever reaches a status or a place where Satan's fiery darts are not aimed at your heart. Please know that. No one gets to that place. But especially those of Joseph's caliber, he desires to get out of the picture and to ruin their testimony and to make it where their laughingstock and the cause of Christ is greatly ruined. His goal is to ruin the testimony, the life, the marriage, the ministry of every single one of us under the sound of my voice. Do you realize that today? His, his wiles are from fiery darts to subtle suggestions to hidden traps to discouragement to success. All kinds of things he will use that we might think is a blessing, but Satan will take and use it if he can to get advantage of us. But Paul says we are not ignorant of his devices. He studies us, and he knows us to see where we're most susceptible. And there he pounces at an unguarded time or at what he considers an opportune moment. But let me remind all of us that the Lord is supremely in charge of even the temptations that come our way. That's why our Lord instructed us to pray in the model prayer, lead me not into temptation. We know that we will all be tested. Don't let that temptation overwhelm me, but but deliver me from committing the sin. And he will. I want you to know as we leave here today that there is a, a special and particular promise of God to deal with temptation. Though the temptation be great, The Bible tells us the Lord was with Joseph and he's with us. I emphasize that verse because sometimes we can feel so lonely, like the only Christian in our place of service or wherever we are. And the the temptation is so great. The the sewer of God's world just spews out on us day by day. And we might get to the point of just throwing in the towel, but the Lord is with you. Don't ever forget that. The Lord is with you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Lo, I'm with you sometimes. Is that what the scripture says? Always. How long? Even to the end of the world, the end of the age. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, to sift you as wheat. And so obviously, like Job of old, Satan had already gotten permission from the Lord to do just that. But I have prayed for you. Let me share with you the the way of escape, the secret to victory over temptation. The temptation itself is not a sin. We live our lives in alien country, in enemy territory, with darts flying at us, snares laid for our feet, landmines of temptation and testing, on every, I think, every step we take, there's a possible mess-up if we're not walking circumspectly. But that should not cause any of us to fear because of the promises we have, and I've shared just a few of them, of them with you this morning. The temptation itself is not a sin. But unless we do just as Joseph did, the temptation will become a lust, a desire, And the lust will grow and spew until it becomes an act, a sin, and that will lead to spiritual death. So there is a process to sin, and we ought to always kill it in the thought. 
We kill it in the initial thoughts before it ever becomes a desire, and then it can never become an act. He says it's very simple. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple. The process is simple. Someone has said that the best of men or women may be tempted to do the worst things. Please don't ever think there's some people that just are not tempted or are not susceptible. There's no one, no one, no one to whom what we're studying here does not apply. If you think that you're exempt, you're, you're sadly and foolishly mistaken. We see there in verse 7 that the, the woman laid a trap for Joseph, and I'll not go into details, but she is desiring him to be immoral with her. Joseph had access to all the household of Potiphar. He arrived at work that day not knowing that the whole household was somewhere else. She knew that Potiphar was out. And that, as the devil always, he has a plan. He lays his plan, and he had to oversee the accounts, the purchasing, and all the other servants. And so Joseph did not expect to face what he faced that day, and neither will you. You don't wake up one day and say, I bet this will be the worst day of my life. I'll bet I'll be blown off my feet with an overwhelming sense to do wrong. We never go into a day or an experience with that in mind. But it's very possible on any given day for, for any of us. Joseph had this, he never woke up that day thinking, this is what will happen to me. A.W. Pink writes, it is surely not without design that the Holy Spirit has placed in juxtaposition the account of the unchastity of Judah in chapter 38 that we looked at last week, with the chastity of Joseph here in Genesis 39, and how significant that the unfaithfulness of the one is placed before the faithfulness of the other. In every situation Joseph found himself in, he behaved himself as a believer should. Now I want you to think about that a moment. In every situation he found himself in, he behaved as a believer should. I remember as a young Christian hearing a, an older believer who had just gotten the, the news that they were, had interminable cancer in just days to live. And I remember thinking, what? Oh, can you imagine receiving that kind of news? And I remember this dear lady saying, I want to die like a Christian. I want to go through this experience as hard as it's going to be. But I want to, to do it where, in such a way, with God's grace, that my Savior be glorified and me not to cause any reflection on who he is or what he's done in my life. In every situation he found himself in, Joseph behaved himself as a Christian. Can we say that? No matter what the circumstance, the trial, the, the temptation, or the slight, or the, what per, someone does to us, or, or the privilege or the status, we will do it and act like a follower of Christ. Someone has said that twice Joseph lost his coat, but he never lost his character. Sometimes great privilege, and we would think a, place, a position like Joseph's, what a place to have. But sometimes the higher you go up the corporate ladder or whatever it is, the dream that you have, which we, we, we encourage you to pursue in the will of God. But I just want you to know that with great privilege comes great responsibility. The greater the privilege, the greater the position, the greater the responsibility. And, and sometimes uh, that affects 
weak believers. I think of Demas. The, 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 the Lord says, or Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me. And then he tells us why. He was an associate with Paul. Served in great missionary endeavors, but he loved the, the present world. He loved the things, the status of this world, and it got him off track. That can happen to us. Paul wrote, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. One of life's greatest lessons. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Our Lord is the example of this in all things. He, he always used the truth of Scripture and the power of God's Word to defeat Satan. Thy Word is truth, he said. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You're clean through the Word that I have spoken unto you. And when the enemy of his soul came against him in his great temptation, he used so aptly the sword of the Spirit to drive the wicked one away from him. Here's the secret that God openly tells his children, but Satan desperately wants to keep you in the dark about. It's so sad that some believers think that sinning and giving in to, to temptation and lust is something that they just have to do. They're, they're, after all, they're human beings, and we're sinners, and, and there's no hope. That, that flies in the face of all that the gospel teaches us. Amen. He has set us free. He's bought us out of the slave market of sin. Sin, Romans chapter 6, shall not have dominion over you. You are dead to, to sin, the scripture tells us. Now, those are facts. They're not based on feelings. The Bible declares those things. But I want to close with this, this arsenal that you must put in your, or this, this artillery that you must put in your arsenal of things that you use in your spiritual battle. You will need this. You will need to tuck this away in your heart. And if maybe like me, keep it almost daily where I can pull it out and remind myself of it. It's not, not a bad idea to put some of these, these, these verses on little cards and keep them where you can pull it out because you will need the truth of God's Word. And it's the only way to, to, to cleanliness and to liberty and to blessing and to, to, to godliness. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and we'll leave you with this portion of Scripture. And I want you to camp out in this portion of Scripture and make it a part of your heart and mind. Paul describes the children of Israel, their wilderness wanderings, how they tempted the Lord, how they murmured against what God provided for them. And then he writes, and he says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10, Now all these things happened unto them for in samples. They happened unto them, but we're to take them and learn from them as a pattern example. So we don't have an excuse, do we? And they are written for our admonition. Even the reading about Joseph's life is written for you and me today, 2015. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Let, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth. You see, he just thinks he's got it made. I'm, I'm such a good Christian that I could never fall. That's a lie. Take heed lest he fall. Be careful. Verse 13 tells us there hath no temptation taken you, overtaken you, is what he's saying, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. That, that important phrase, that interruption in that, that verse, God is faithful. You, you capitalize on that. that. Everything else hinges on the faithfulness of God who 
will not allow you to be tested or tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it, go under it, go through it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. What a truth. There's nothing that Satan can throw at you or that God just allows that there's not a way of escape. What a, what a blessed freedom this verse is for the child of God because our flesh screams out and says, you must obey me. I want this. It was not that Joseph did not have desires or that this was not an opportunity. The Bible doesn't tell us that he wasn't tempted. He ran. Sometimes the manliest thing to do is to run. Paul tells it to us here, flee. Sometimes all you can do, arguing, reasoning, the, the situation is so overwhelming, it will overwhelm you. You cannot, you cannot go any further. You must leave. You must flee. Quoting John Phillips again, the secret of Joseph's life may be summed up in a single phrase. Beautiful integrity. There in that dismal dungeon, you remember that Potiphar's wife, when he refused her, lied about him. Satan doesn't play fair. <laughs> Your integrity will not be appreciated by the ungodly, not always. And you can be framed, you can be hated. That's the lot of God's people. It's part of, of all that live godly in Christ will what? Suffer persecution. That's, that's part of, of living the Christian life. Beautiful integrity. Think of that. He goes to prison falsely. And there he's left. The promise to be remembered when the other servants are called upon. But he's forgotten, it seems. Now, your earthly connections may all fall through. And your closest friend may forget you. But there is one in heaven who neither slumbers nor sleeps. He sees. Don't you know that God knows where Joseph is? He knows how many hairs are on Joseph's head. He knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He knows his down-sitting and uprising from afar. Don't ever think that God doesn't know, or even greater yet, that God doesn't care. Joseph just got busy in prison doing what he always did, organizing, fixing, helping, overseeing. Cream always rises to the top. And Joseph must have decided, if I'm going to be in prison, I better make it a better place. He didn't just sit down and say, well, this is where I am. This is unfair, unfaithful. I've been misused. And this, this is what I get for serving the Lord. I just quit. No. He just had a prison ministry. Began to do his organizing, his overseeing. And, the, and that, what the scripture says, whatever was done there, he was the doer of it. He oversaw it. His faith never wavered. He showed love and kindness to others there. His hope was deferred. The scripture says hope deferred can make the heart sick, but we don't see that in Joseph's place. Joseph had been disappointed before. I mean, he'd been sold by his brothers and left in a pit and sold as a slave. And so, But he had learned in spite of it all that his circumstances were not going to dictate his happiness, his joy, his, his confidence in the Lord. Joseph, like all of us, all of us, had to learn to wait. The hardest test of all is to wait. 
wait. You high school students have just finished, and you think, 12 years. In some cases, 13 or 14 if you went to preschool. And you're about to involve, embark into another program of several more years. When we finished our master's work, my wife said, will we ever be out of school? I said, no, we teach. We'll, we'll, never, we'll be in school forever. You embark in, in another program, but wherever you are, there's all, you're in the school of God's sanctification. And you never graduate that until you graduate to glory. After all, Hebrews 6.12 tells us it is through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different kinds of tests, all different kinds of temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, endurance. You have to learn to endure to get through life, don't you? If there's any one thing that all these graduates and every one of us need is to learn how to endure all kinds of stuff. The trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, her complete entire work, that ye may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. That's what God wants to do in my life and your life. Where there's nothing lacking, that we can be as the tree planted by rivers of water, as Joseph was. Doesn't Joseph, Psalm chapter 1, in a body, spiritually prosperous. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. Well, you may be saying, I'm not Joseph. I'm not cut out of the same cloth. I don't know what I would do with that kind of privilege or that kind of temptation, quite frankly. But let me remind you that you have Joseph's God. You have the word of God that's sufficient to whatever situation that you're in. And it's not about you to start with. It's all about God. Don't we see that as we've made this journey through, through Genesis? God using people we would not have anything to do with. I mean, I would have given up on Jacob long before God, the Lord did. In fact, the Lord never did, did he? He is, after all, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Lot, I wouldn't give you 50 cents for Lot, just based on what I see. I'm just talking, as Chris Lamb, if I were picking out people, Lot would not be with the one that I'd say, I want him on my team. And we could go down the list, but I'm afraid that if we were all lined up and could see each other as the Holy Spirit sees us, we'd pass over all of us, wouldn't we? But that's where grace comes in. The unmerited favor of God that can take the worst of us, can save the worst among us, and save us to the uttermost, and give us a life of peace and godliness. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the vilest clean. His blood availed for me. We point you to Joseph's God and to his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior, not a Savior, the only Savior. And if you come with your sin to him, he will save you. Oh, his mercy and his grace are never ending. His gospel is this, that he is the Son of God who's come into this world to save those who need a Savior. And by the way, that includes every single one 
under the sound of my voice, the pastor included. Let us pray. Now, Lord, I pray that you take your word and equip us and teach us and feed us and help us today by it. Lord, I'm greatly concerned about those who are outside of Christ, who have never come to him savingly. And so, Lord, I plead with them to examine themselves and may your spirit prompt them to do just that just now. And let me ask you this morning, are you resting in Christ alone for salvation? If you're resting on anything else, it's, it's sinking sand and it will fail you in the end. I beg you to put aside your, your unbelief and your self-reliance or whatever it is that you're leaning on, a religious experience or something that will not hold in the great day and any self-effort and humbly receive the salvation that the Lord offers through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us you must be reconciled to God. That we're born into this world, enemies of him. But Christ came to, to reconcile us to the Lord. And I pray that you'd come and, and take that gift of reconciliation. With nail-pierced hands, he extends them toward you today. Would you reach out in faith and turn from your sin and trust him? You can call on him right now where you are. You can ask him to, to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't have to speak out loud or anything like that, but you can tell him in your heart. He sees and knows all things. Would you go to Christ just now? The promise of the Lord is that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Lord, we commit this hour to you and ask that your word would not return void, but that it would accomplish exactly what you'd have it do in every heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.